have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to open with us to Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 will be in verse 31 through the end of the chapter, verse 31 to 39, in Romans chapter number 8. We see it happen in golf, it happens in hockey, it happens in boxing, in swimming, in football, baseball, soccer, basketball, volleyball, tennis. I mean, you name a sport, and somewhere in that sport's history occurred a blowout. I mean, blowouts are just a part of sports history regardless of the sport. Well, apparently, when Paul the Apostle wrote Romans chapter number 8, he wrote it after he ate his Wheaties. Now, some of you probably don't even know what that means, but years ago there was eat your Wheaties and that kind of thing. Maybe you can YouTube it or whatever and look it up. But the point is Paul in Romans 8 records the biggest blowout, not, not in sports history, but in human history. And, and this is how he says it. it. It's fascinating how he says it uh, down in verse number 37. He says, we are more than conquerors. Now he's talking about those who are in Christ. He's talking about the church. And he says we're more than conquerors. What does that mean that we're more than conquerors? I mean, obviously, it, it means at least in Christ we win. <laughs> right, church? It, it means that we don't just live and operate and worship and serve and fellowship and disciple and evangelize and go on mission. We don't just do that for the win. No, we're on mission, we're, we're discipling, we're evangelizing, we're serving, we're fellowshipping, we're operating and living from the win. We've already won in Christ. We've already won. It certainly means that, but it also means more than that. More than conquerors means more than that. More than conquerors means that we don't just squeak by with a win. We don't just win by the skin of our teeth. We don't just win by nose. We don't just win by a small margin. We don't just pull out the victory at the last moment. More than conquerors means not only do we win, we win big. Like the biggest blowout in the history of the world. And Romans 8 really highlights this, and it's on full display in verse 31 through 39. So I want to talk to you today on the subject, the biggest blowout in human history. So I'm going to read the text and then we'll unpack it together. So if you're in Romans 8, 31, say I'm there. All right, here we go. Let's, let's look at this together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword 
as it is written, for your sake, were being killed all the day long, were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, what a strong word. Um, Holy Spirit, what a powerful message from your word. And our prayer is, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us as we unpack this text that it would talk to us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, so here's the takeaway. Let me go ahead and give it to you. God's love never loses and is never lost. God's love never loses and is never lost. So I want to focus on this idea of God's love uh, in the last part of Romans 8 and some facets of God's love that we need to consider today. So here's the first one. Under the umbrella that God's love never loses and is never lost. Number one, God loves to love. God doesn't love you because he has to, because he's obligated to. God loves to love you. He loves to love us. And we see this very clearly early on in Romans 8, really in verse 32, toward the, in this, early on in this last section. A pastor friend of mine says that there is no one more loving than a child trying to delay bedtime. <laughs> Nobody's more loving than a child trying to delay bedtime. I mean, they just become so loving delaying that bedtime. God says that he loves us more than your child trying to delay bedtime. And he shows us, and this is how he shows us. Look what it says. Uh, For he who did not spare his own son, verse 32. The word spare means to refrain from. It means to withhold, to keep to oneself. God didn't keep Jesus to himself. God didn't refrain from giving us his only son. God did not withhold from us his son. He gave us his son. He didn't give Jesus any special treatment to avoid the wrath of God. He poured out all of his wrath on his son for you and for me. He died for the entire human race, forgiving sin at the cross. Uh, God said it like this, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give us Jesus. Notice what he says. He did not only spare us some, but gave him up for us all. Gave him up. What a gift to give. Huh? Gave him up. For who? For us. For us who are in Christ. In other words, if you're in Christ, you can take the us out of here and you can put your name right there. For God, for God did not spare his own son. I'm gonna, I don't know if you're, I'm going to put my name right here. I'm going to take time to do that. So he who not spare his own son, but gave him up for Sam. Amen to that. Gave him up for Tanya. Amen to that. Gave him up for fill in the blank. Put your name there. Gave him up for us. And I love the word all. All brings the wholeness to it. And in other words, 100% of the people who come to God the Son by faith, they're going to get to God the Father. Jesus doesn't lose a one of them. He left the 99 to go get the one. He doesn't lose any of them. He pays attention to all of us. 
that are in Christ. And so what Paul is doing, and and then he says this, graciously will he not give us all things. So Paul is making an argument. Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. Uh, Think of it like this. If God would offer his son as a sacrifice for our sins while we were his enemies. Think about that. While we are making war against God, and that's what an enemy does. An enemy is an opposition to. An enemy is making war against God. God's enemies make war against him. So while you and I were making war against God, he gave us his only son. So the argument Paul is making is simply this, the greater to the lesser. If God would offer his son as a sacrifice for our sins while we were making war with him, will he not fully provide for our needs now that we are his children? That is a strong argument. Would you agree? Well, let me help you with this. I want you to help you to see this even fuller. There is a word in Romans 8.32. The word is spare. Somebody say spare. You see it right there. He did not spare his own son. According to the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And according to the Septuagint, the same Greek word for spare here in Romans 8.32 is the same Greek word in Genesis 22, verse I believe it's verse number 12. So if you have, if you can, turn all the way back to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is the text that we're familiar with the story, certainly, if not the text. And that is Abraham offering up his own son, Isaac, as God told him to go to Mount Moriah, offer his son there. Yes, and in verse number 12, Genesis 22, 12, there's a word that is used that is the same Greek word we find in 832. So the story goes, God calls to Abraham, Abraham. He says, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him uh, as a burnt offering on, on the mount that I will show you. And so he goes to Mount Moriah, loads his donkey, gets his servants. They go, and he tells his servants, y'all wait here. Me and the boy are going to go over here and worship, and we'll come again back to you. And on the way, Isaac asks his father, the, the, behold, the wood and the knife and the fire, but where's the lamb? Abraham says, well, God will provide the lamb. Uh, Then he basically says, you, my son, you are the lamb, basically is what he says to him. And so they're on their way up, and they get to the place, and he prepares the wood. He lays Isaac on the wood. He reaches for the knife. He raises the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a finger on him. Don't do anything to him. For now I know you fear God that you did not. Look at verse 12, Genesis 22, 12. Here we go. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So here's the argument. If Abraham, it is difficult to believe, it is very difficult to believe that if Abraham was willing to give up his own son for God, then he would not give up anything else for God. If Abraham was going to give his most prized possession, his only son, to God, then certainly he would have given God anything. He would not hold back anything from God. And so it is difficult, even infinitely more difficult, to think that God could hold anything from us after giving up his son 
for us. That's Paul's argument. A wealthy Roman had a son that broke his heart. At the same time, he had a slave that demanded admiration. And so on his deathbed, this wealthy Roman made a decision to disinherit his son and give everything to his slave, whose name was Marcellus. And so he gave everything to Marcellus. He left nothing for his son. And then he called his son and had the papers drawn up, called his son into his room, lying on his deathbed, to tell his son what he had done. Son, I've, I've given everything. I've left everything. I've deeded everything to Marcellus and nothing to you. However, you may choose, my son, one item from my estate for yourself. The son says, I'll take Marcellus. I'll take Marcellus. Church in Christ, when we take Christ, we take all. Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We get it all. He spared not his son. Will he not also graciously give us all things needed for our sanctification? Yes, he will. All things. In fact, he even goes a step further. Says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want you to, we, we, we need to think on the, this God who graciously redeems us, who changes us radically, who loves us unconditionally, who calls us decisively, who works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, this God is for us? Hey, if God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. But if God is against you, it doesn't matter who's for you. So Paul is making a strong argument that not only does he give us graciously all things, that no one who can come against us. Now Paul is not suggesting that there's not opposition. Notice what he says, who, who can, this is verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Paul is not suggesting that there won't be any charges against his elect. I mean, Satan is the accuser. He's accu he has access to God, and he's accusing even now. We know that. So he's not suggesting there won't be opposition, and there won't be charges against his elect. That is not what Paul is saying. Do you realize that we are facing opposition. I believe too often that as believers, we put our head down and we don't see what's happening all around us all the time. There's evil happening everywhere all the time. Marriage is on trial in our country. Marriage is in the crosshairs and Satan has his finger on the trigger. And Tanya and I just, we finished chapter one in our book. We're writing on marriage, gospel conversation on marriage. Please pray for us as we go into chapter two. Uh, by the way, we're not writing this book because we've got marriage figured out because we don't. We're not writing this book because we've been married longer than you have and have more experience because we haven't. We're writing this book because marriage is on trial in America and we just can't sit by and do nothing about it. We just can't. And we've seen this on display. I mean, the most recent example, the NCAA college men's basketball tournament. 
There's a school that got eliminated last night called Oral Roberts University. They made the Sweet 16. And according to the USA Today, the Sweet 16 was bitter this year because Oral Roberts was in it. In fact, a USA Today article called for the NCAA to remove Oral Roberts from the tournament. And not only that, remove them from the NCAA and every religious institution like it. Now, what do they mean by like it? Let me tell you what they don't mean by like it. They don't, they're not referring to the outrage to Oral Roberts University has nothing to do with its faith healing, Pentecostal, charismatic theology. Nothing. We are in a completely different world theologically than Oral Roberts University. That is not what the outrage is about. The outrage is about the very issue that we would lock arms with Oral Roberts University about, and that is the biblical mandate design of marriage between one man and one woman. And gender, there's two, male and female. That's the rub. That's where the outrage comes from. In fact, here's what Ed Stetzer said. Ed Stetzer said, the calls to remove Oral Roberts University from NCAA competition comes against the backdrop of the Senate debates over the Equality Act. Proponents of the act want to say the law will just keep the homophobes from harming the rights of the LGBTQ plus persons, but that's not neither accurate nor honest. What we're seeing in the news media is what the Equality Act will make into law. Law. Al Mohler said it this way, make no mistake, this may be about Oral Roberts today, but the same will be said about you and your school and your church and your organization tomorrow. You can count on it, end quote. They're coming for us, church. They're coming. I say, come on, because God says there is no who can bring a charge against God's elect. Who? Amen. Praise the Lord. Tim Keller said it like this. Listen to what Tim Keller said. He said, the Roman Empire said, you Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all the deities. America, modern America says it like this. You Christians are too exclusive. You threaten the social order because you won't honor all identities. They can cancel us from the culture. That's fine. But church... This word says they cannot cancel us from Christ. God loves to love. And here's the proof. Look at the end of verse 33 here. It is God who justifies. Hear me now. The government does not justify. It is God who justifies. And he loves to love us. And he loves to justify. And he does it through the work and person of Jesus on the cross. God loves to love. Here's here's the second. Here's the second factor of love that just jumps off the page. Number two, God's love is alive. Easter Sunday is next Sunday, right, church? Why, Why do millions upon millions of people worship and gather on Easter Sunday? Because our God is alive. Jesus is alive. God's love is alive. And we see it right here. You know, when Tanya and I were engaged, there was a, we're engaged to be married, 2001. It was a very popular song out by Jagged Edge called Let's Get Married. Now, this song, with pinpoint accuracy, described our life even into the future. So it immediately became our song, not realizing how pinpoint accurate it would be. 
In fact, there's one lyric in here that Rev Run DMC raps, and I know this is going to bless your heart. I know that. I know it is, but I'm going to read this lyric to you anyway, okay? So here's a portion of that lyric. It said, used to be the snake type hanging out late night. That was me. I was running from the Lord. I didn't want anything to do with this call. I was running. Girl, you done made me change my life. That's Tanya. God used Tanya to change my life and get me turned back around toward him. So let me say that again. Used to be the snake type hanging out late night. Girl, you done made me change my life. Ever since you met me, keys to the Bentley. Now they call you the preacher's wife. When we were engaged, we had no idea Tanya would ever marry a preacher and no idea that I would be that preacher. That just was not on the radar. And yet that's exactly what happened. Now, the only thing that's not really totally accurate is keys to the Bentley. Tanya has no keys to the Bentley, uh, nor do I. I guess I've got a poor man's Bentley, a Chrysler 300, but no Bentley. Think about that. Think about your dream car. Let's say somebody... Let's say you won your dream car, tax-free, take it home today. Come by, get this car. You can take it home right now. So you go to the dealership, no taxes. You just get in the car. They give it to you. They take it home. But they refuse to give you the keys. Isn't that a bit ridiculous? Would Jesus give us, or would God the Father give us God the Son and not then graciously give us all things? This is why Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's why he tells his church, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I give you the gospel. And what the gospel binds on, and, and, and on earth will be bound in heaven. And what it loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And why, did Jesus, why was it necessary for Jesus to give us the keys? Because Jesus would not be here. He ascended to heaven. After his resurrection, he ascended to the Father. So he is not here physically. His ascension is essential. And here's why. Look at verse number 34. Who is to condemn? Man, I love that question. It reminds me of the, of the time when Jesus, when the Pharisees brought this lady who was caught in adultery to Jesus and said she needs to be stoned. And Jesus says, who, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. And they went away one by one by one by one when it was finally just Jesus there and, and the lady. And he looked at her and he said, where are they? No one has condemned you? And she says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Wow. No condemnation. So if the question is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus. He's the one who died. Boy, the Holy Spirit hit me right between the eyes with the truth here. I can't wait to share with you. He says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Jesus died for you. He not only died instead of you, he died in your stead, in your place. And I love this. Not only did he die, more than that, who was raised. See, the fact that God the Father raised God the Son is proof that God the Father accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made. It is proof that God's wrath was satisfied through the death of Christ. It is proof of that. And so he's raised, not only that is he raised, he's at the right hand of God, which means he's at the highest possible 
position and place you can be. And not only that, He's interceding for us right now. So His love is not only alive and well, it is active as well. You may be saying, well, I've been waiting and God's not doing what I want. Listen, while you're waiting, He's up there praying. While you're waiting, He's interceding. While you're waiting, He's working. Moses waited 40 years. Noah waited 120. Abraham waited, what, 25 years. Joseph waited 13. David waited 12. If you're in a season of waiting, guess what? You're in good company. As you wait, God is working. And here's this amazing truth that God just hit me upside the head with. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Hey, church, if there is anything that could ever condemn us, the one thing that should condemn us is the very thing that ensures we'll never be condemned. The one thing that should separate us is the only thing that ensures we'll never be separated. If there's anything that could damn us, the one thing that should damn us is the only thing that ensures we'll never be damned. What is that? It's the death of Christ. Man, the death of Christ should separate all of us from God. Yet it's the one thing, the only thing that ensures for those in Christ, they'll never be separated from Him. So who is to condemn? If Jesus doesn't condemn, who can? No one can. What a strong word on God's love. Number three, here's the last one. God's love never leaves. This is so important for us to understand that God's love never leaves. We live in a world of just separation, don't we? I mean, we're all separated all the time. You got social distance that separated us. And politically, we're separated, and religiously, we're separated, and our opinions separate us, and uh, social media separates us, and we're just at every turn, I'm, 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 I'm not talking about us in particular in this room. I'm talking about people on the planet. We're just separated. Think about that. We're, we're just separated. Things that, that should come together, people coming together with people, are separated. And then things that should never come together, come together. Things that should be separated are coming together, like Pepsi and Peeps. Have you seen this? Pepsi and Peeps? Marshmallow flavored soda? Come on, Pepsi. Coke would never. Unless they thought of it first, then they would, for sure. But some things that are to be separated come together and Things to be together separated. So here's what Paul does. He gives us two lists. There's, there's a ton here. There's too much here to unpack in the next few minutes we have. However, there are two lists I want to run through. And one of them is Paul's list. Somebody say Paul's list. Say Paul. Say Paul's list. All right, here we go. Here's Paul's list that encourages us to know that there's nothing in life or in death that has separated Paul from the love of God in Christ. And here's Paul's list. Uh, jump down to verse 35, and the question is, who shall separate us from the love of God? So this whole section is about separation. Who can separate us? So here's what Paul, he gives a list. 
The first one on the list is tribulation. Can tribulation separate us from the love of God in Christ? What is tribulation? Tribulation is any outward pressure. It may be the loss of a job. It may be the death of a loved one. It may be a disease that your body has taken on. It's something from the outside pressing in. Can any of that separate us from the love of God? Whatever that might be. Paul says no. The next one is distress. This is inward pressure. Think of it as maybe you feel hemmed in. Maybe you feel trapped. You have no space. It's inward distress. Inward pressure. Can inward pressure separate us from the love of God in Christ? Paul says no. Well, the next one is persecution. Now this was ongoing for the early church. And it is increasingly a probability for the church in the last days. Persecution. We're going to face it. The next two are famine and nakedness. What does that mean? It means, you know, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the lilies. If God clothes them and feeds the birds, certainly he's going to take care of us. So this is doing without. Is doing without from the necessities of, of human life. Doing without physical necessity. Is that going to separate us from the love of God in Christ? Paul says, no, it's not. The next one is danger or peril. Being in danger from people who reject the gospel is what this is referring to. Is that going to separate? No. The last one is sword. That is martyrdom. This is Paul's list. You can go read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, and you can see that six of these Paul experienced prior to penning this letter. The seventh he would experience upon his death. And Paul is encouraging us that nothing in Paul's life and nothing in Paul's death could separate him from the love of God in Christ. Isn't that encouraging? So that's Paul's list. The next list, I've called it y'all's list. Somebody say y'all's list. You got to say it with a Mississippi draw. Say y'all's list. There you go. It begins with death. And if you think about something that's going to separate us, the great separator is none other than death itself. Death separates parents from children and children from parents. Death separates friends from friends, family members from family members. Death is such a great separator that it separates marriages. You know 100% of marriages end in separation? All of them. Till death do us what? Yeah. All marriages end in separation except one. Christ and His church. In fact, when we get to glory, we're going to pull up a chair to the marriage Supper of the Lamb for those who are in Christ. So death, the great separator. Jesus said it like this. He who believes in me, Jesus is talking about himself. He who believes in me, he who believes in Jesus will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. So death, Paul says, can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. What about life? There's much in life that separates. We've talked about some of this already. Geographically, we're separated. When somebody moves away, your friend or family moves away, that's hard 
It stinks, right? And you say, well, let's keep in touch, and that only turns into being even more out of touch, and it just the whole thing just stinks, but it's separation. We see other things in life that separate us. Sin separates us, sickness, disease, social distance. We ran through all those. Politically, religiously, we've already done all that. Paul says not even life, not anything in this life can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Then he moves on to angels. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Why would an angel want to separate anybody from the love of God in Christ? That's Paul's point. This is hyperbole. Paul is saying he's, he's stretching it to the uttermost. Even if an angel could separate you from the love of God in Christ, that angel would not. They just, just wouldn't. And remember Paul says in Galatians, he said, listen, if, if an, even if an angel preaches a different gospel to you than what I've preached to you, he shall be accursed, right? So he's saying not even angels, even if they could. In other words, Paul is saying the angels won't separate you. Paul is saying that our God is more powerful than the most powerful of creatures, and nothing in all creation can separate. So angels can't. Then he says demons can. Now demons want to. Demons really want to separate. They want to harass us, and they do. They want to hurt us, and they do. They want to mislead us, and they do. They want to deceive us, and they do. But can they separate us? Nope. They cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Paul shifts gears to time. Somebody say time. Yeah, things present and things to come. Nothing can happen now, nothing can happen in the future that will ever separate you, dear brother and sister in Christ, from the love of God. Nothing. And notice the past didn't even mention here. Why is it the past? Why doesn't Paul mention the past? Because if the past could separate you from the love of God, it already would have. It can't. He goes from time and then shifts gears to these other powers, these spiritual forces. It can be things as simple as voodoo, black magic, witchcraft, anything that Satan can conjure up, anything Satan can concoct, whatever that is, cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Then he goes a little deeper with height or depth. He's talking about space now. There's nothing in time that can separate you. There's nothing in space that can separate you. The highest of heavens, the lower Depths of hell, no, nothing can separate us. Even in a galaxy far, far away, God has spoken. Can't be separated. Not time, not space, not angels, not demons, not death, nor life, nor powers. And I love this. Man, this takes the cake right here. Nor anything else in all creation. In other words... There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ in the entire universe. Nothing in the universe, including, watch this, you. You cannot separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even if you wanted to be born again no more, if you're, if you're born again, if you're saved and in Christ, even if you wanted to be saved no longer and justified no longer and born again no longer, you cannot yourself separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even you can, as hard as you may try. I don't know about you, but that is a great encouragement. Because the one person on this earth that I will never trust is Sam. Never. If I could separate myself, it would have already happened. 
but it can't happen. And, and I love what Paul says. And I pray you can say this. So here's the question. Can you say this? Here's what Paul says in verse 38. For I am sure. Hmm. So the question is, are you sure? Are you sure? If you're not, you can be. But you've got to put your faith and trust in Christ. You have to take that step. This is, and we looked at this in the very first message of this four-week series. There's a, there's, a, there's, a conditional, there's a condition here. This is not a promise to all people. This is not a promise to the whole world. This is not a promise to every person. This is a promise to those who are in Christ. Positionally, you're in a right standing with God. This doesn't say those who are in religion or in church or in a moral lifestyle. This says for those who are in Christ. It's very conditional. You're either in Christ or you're not. The only reason Paul says, I'm sure, is because he's in Christ. Are you? He's your only hope. See, listen, God's love never loses and is never lost. You see, God's love is... It's better than Satan's hate is bitter. It's deeper than the depths of the seas are deep. It's clearer than the clear skies are clear. It's looking the scripture. God's love never loses and is never lost. God's love is easier to find at the cross than that last lost egg on Easter. God's love is fuller than the fullest house is full. God's love is freer then those government stimulus checks are free. Now, I know they're not free, but I also know God's love is freer. I know God's love is greater than the gulf between heaven and hell is great. That's what the Bible tells us, that God's love never loses and is never lost. God's love is holier than the fires of hell are hot. God's love is, is higher than the heavens are high. God's love is kinder than Mr. Rogers was kind. God's love is louder then the lies of Lucifer the liar are loud. Why? Because God's love never loses and is never lost. God's love is newer than that new car smell is new. And God's love at the same time is older than Methuselah is old. God's love is remoter than your job is remote. Why? Because God's love it never loses and is never lost. God's love is stronger than any evil demonic stronghold is strong. God's love is sweeter than Pepsi Peeps marshmallow flavored soda is sweet. God's love is truer than any tragedy is tragic. And when you go to the beach this year, just remind yourself that God's love is wider than the wind and the waves are wide. Why? Because God's love never loses and is never lost. And I'm sure of it. I can stand before you today and say without a shadow of a doubt, I am convinced of this truth. Are you? If you're worshiping with us online and you say, I just can't say that. I can't, I can't say with all confidence that I am sure. Well, today you can be, either in person or online. I want to challenge you to open your heart, believe what God's Word says, that Christ died, that He was raised He's at the right hand of God. He's interceding for you right now. 
Believe that in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Call upon his name and be saved. You can do that today. You don't have to be in a church building to do that. You don't have to be talking to a pastor to do that. You can do that right where you are. Let us know the decision you made, but we want you to do that. I want to invite everybody in the room to stand up with us. Those at home, if you'd stand up, do that as well. And I want to pray for those who would say, I just am not sure. Well, let's make it sure right now. So bow your heads with me and pray something like this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from you because of sin. But I know the Savior has come to bring me to you, never to be separated again. I believe it. Forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. In Jesus' name. Hey, look up in here. If you prayed that prayer and believed it in your heart, we believe that you came to faith in Christ. So we want to hear about that. So text the name Jesus to 79969 and let us know about the decision you made, whether you're in person or online. We're going to sing in a moment. These steps are open. Uh, Josh will be down front here to receive you for any decision you need to make if you're in the room. Maybe it's a decision. Because let me say this to you. God still loves you. God is still for you, believer. So do you love him and are you for him? Meaning, have you taken that step in baptism? Have you taken that step to join the church? Have you taken that step to join a life group or to lead a life group or to be in a discipleship group or to lead a discipleship group? Have you taken that step to that call of ministry or that place of service. Come let us know if you're in the room. You can come right to Josh and let him know. These steps are open. You can come pray right here today. Say, Lord, I believe this. Help my unbelief. Or Lord, help me take that next step in being for you. Whatever that decision is, now's the time to make it. You got to move. If you're in person, come forward or text us. And online, please send us a text and let us know how we can pray for you, how we can minister to you. Text 79969. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We look forward to what you're going to do in this place during this invitation. And online in the number of places people who are worshiping with us online today. God, let us celebrate the decisions people are making. Let us not forget as your church that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there is no separation for those from the love of God who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, will you worship?